Hello, I'm Stephen, this is Mick, and today we're going to be talking about the topic of rebooting society. Before we begin our discussion, we just want to say that this is only a discussion. There are no right or wrong answers. These are just our thoughts and opinions which can and will change. Neither of us are experts on anything. We are just two dudes talking. This is going to be a continuation on our Rebooting Society series. So we have already done three parts previously and I'm just going to quickly go over the highlights of them now, but obviously if you can check them out, (laughs) get a bit more context there. So basically our scenario for why we're going to need to reboot society is that all electronic data has been wiped from commuters. So everyone's records are clean. So we've got to kind of start again. Buildings, uh, population, natural environment, that's all still intact. It's just that we're restructuring things. Um, We have enough resources to last us a year. The main reason that we added this in is that uh, we want some time to be able to make decisions and not just have to force everything in at once. So if some things take a little bit of lead time, we've got that allowed. We came up with some fundamentals that uh, underline our new society. So our mission statement for this society is every human being being able to achieve a fully realized state of being and living a rewarding and feeling life. So that's what we're aiming towards. We had some basic human rights that we said everyone should be guaranteed, uh, food and drink, security, shelter, health, education, and then some principles that uh, underline everything we do and all the decisions we make. Transparency, honesty, agency, accountability and repercussions and compassion. So after that, we started talking about, okay, if we were to reboot society, how would we approach it practically? And then we went about this looking at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and then covering each layer from the bottom up and discussing, okay, how would we go about ensuring each layer? And so we've already done the bottom two layers, the first layer being physiological needs, which covered uh, things like air, shelter, water, and food. And then we did the second layer last time, which covered personal security and safety needs. So a few things we brought up as well when going through the layers is that we want to make sure that each layer is uh, as solid as possible, because if we start building on top of it and it's compromised that's just going to bring everything else down there's no point in going higher without building up the lower layers first because then it's all just going to topple over it's a pyramid if you've got a bad structure it's not going to work out very well so just wanted to keep that a note just to also keep us aware of that when we're discussing these high layers that we again need to make sure that the lower layers are still secure so mick is there anything else that i left out on the previous discussions that you wanted to no i think you covered it pretty well yep okay cool getting the foundation right That's good. So today we're going to be talking about layer three, which is love and belonging. Before we get into it, though, I just wanted to mention that the initial two layers, the physiological and safety needs, they're more physical and we can kind of quantitatively assess how we're doing at it. Like if people have food, we've kind of met that measure of, uh, you know, physiological needs if people have water access to air shelter all that stuff it's kind of like you can tick boxes for that love and belonging and uh, the one after it which is going to be esteem that we'll do after this one they're a little bit more 
well, they are psychological, so they're a little bit more abstract, more based on feeling. So it's going to be interesting to see how we go with this discussion because, yeah, it's a little less tangible, a little more qualitative. And being engineers, we kind of, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I kind of like numbers, but it's also good to play in this kind of uh, qualitative uh, space as well. Yeah, is there anything along those lines? No, I think you captured it well. It's going to be a challenging topic, uh, probably particularly for us as having backgrounds as engineers. So it's going to be a bit a grey, a bit of a gradient, so a bit different to what we're normally used to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenge though. Like, of course, it's although we are engineers, we like numbers, we like to have tangible outcomes. It's really the problem. Well, specifically for me, I don't know about you. It's more the problem that I'm obsessed with. I don't really care so much about the outcome. So as long as there's a problem there to keep solving. And that's why I'm kind of drawn to these kind of problems as well. Thinking about, for example, feelings and love and belonging. It's, you can't get a number at the end of it. You can't say, okay, we've solved it. There Mm. is nothing to solve. So, you know, it's, it's just an infinite problem. And for me, that's what excites me. It's like, it's not, I don't care if I ever get to a solution. It's just continually um, developing that and continually yes. looking at it. Yeah. It can never have a perfect solution. So it's always engaging, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing to mention, mm. not to get on too much of a tangent, is that when you have these problems that you can't put a solution to or a, fine, a number to and say, yep, it's solved, if you're interested in continuing to solve this problem you have to attack it from different angles and continually look at it from new perspectives which just builds up your own understanding your own knowledge of not just the subject that you're looking at or the problem that you're trying to solve but everything else around it which is why i think it's really cool so something that's impossible to grasp you end up learning so much around it Mm. even though you're not ever getting to the you know end point of it it's a very good point it's like training uh, uh it's a good form of training to keep an open mind i guess and so, you know, if you've got a, a finite problem that you can get an answer to, I guess when you get that answer, you close your mind. Um, so when you have a problem that that is always uh, relative to its time, I guess, it's always going to change. And so that forces you to keep an open mind consistently. So, yeah, mm. that's probably what's fun about it. Yeah. Um, a couple more things I wanted to mention, just looking at my notes before we get into it. Uh, I think here it's going to be, and I'd like to get your uh, perspective on it. Self-reflection, honesty, and compassion, I think are going to be key components to actually these, both of these layers looking at um, love and belonging and esteem. So I'll probably, in my talking about it, I'll bring those up consistently. So I just wanted to highlight that here, that I think those are the most important like traits to build up in ourselves in order to fully I don't know, or get the most out of these things. And again, yeah. no solution, but I think that kind of helps us. Along yes, the way. yes, they're probably the key factors. Yeah. All right, Mick. So the uh, layer three, love and belonging, this includes things like friendship, intimacy, family, and sense of connection. So Mick, to kick us off, what is love? Yeah, that's not a hard question at all. <laughs> Thanks for throwing me the hot potato. Yeah. Uh, no, it's an interesting. It's an interesting. Uh, it's a challenging sort of definition to make, I think. So I'm going to start because maybe this is the engineer in me coming out. I'm going to start. I think I'm going to start from a, like a biological or physiological sense. Um, so I think 
uh, love them. I don't know how to separate the two at this point, but I think both of them are probably our highest level of uh, emotional connection or one of our highest levels of emotional connection. Maybe you have an opposing balance to that when there's violence and, and anger and, and someone flying off the handle. But I do think it's something very primal. It's something that we have all built within us innately and it is something that uh, we feel and um, I'm sure the science would show that there's a, a Depending on the type of love, there's a lot of different chemical reactions that would happen within your your body and your mind and all the rest of it. So, I would say from that point, it's definitely um, uh, physiologically and biologically connected to us in a in a very strong way. And then I guess you would swap it to you'd probably uh, move over to spiritual. And I think uh, love and belonging is an important uh, trait in humans. I think without it. Um, we could uh, possibly find surviving very difficulty, very difficult. I think the fact that we have connection with other people, um, we're able to connect to them on a level in which we can share intimate thoughts, um, ideas, and just even um, everyday sort of mental challenges that you go through. So I think without that love and belonging, um, an individual is going to struggle a lot um, going through life by themselves. And, uh, and that's probably why it's innately built within us. Um, and it probably is why it's so strongly, has a, such a strong physiological or biological sense. It's a, it's a, it's a survival or a, or a um, yeah, a, a survival mechanism in us. Um, that, that's what we need. Maybe it comes from us being a bit more herding animals. We're not predators. So we'd, um, in order for us to survive from an evolutionary sense, we needed to, to congregate. Um, and yeah, I think all of those factors weigh in, um, I guess. So it's probably not a very clear definition of what, what love and, and belonging, whether you separate them, but, uh, maybe that's the spectrum in which, which I see it fit. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it is going to be a one that we can <laughs> quantify, but I think that's a good start. I do agree with you. I think it is something innate and you could argue, okay, is that, something that was weeded out through evolution. Like like you said, we, we are herd animals. We need to stick together. We need to work together. We're not the physically strongest animal out there. We need to actually work together and outsmart, you know, the other predators that are out there. So you could kind of make an argument, okay, that love, belonging, connectedness came from survival. And this is something that when I see like television shows, for example, I don't really watch it that often, but a show like Star Trek where they sometimes depict civilizations where they're just a warring, like completely warring mm. species. Every single one of them is like uh, angry and anxious all the time. Like they're always fighting each other. I'm like, I just don't see how they could advance to like the level that they're depicting, especially space traveling or spacefaring species. I'm like, if they were all individually that aggressive and, fearful and backstabbing. I'm like, I don't see them even getting to that point that it really, when I see depictions of, uh, you know, whatever narratives where they're, they're just like the tribes are so aggressive towards each other. I'm like, that just doesn't make sense to me. I don't see practically how you could get from a starting point to hundreds of years later without wiping yourself out. If everyone's so aggressive towards one another. It's true. I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, collaboration comes from the ability to work with each other. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think we had discussed this in a, in a podcast before. I don't know 
um, why humans in particular see historical or new civilizations as uh, from the perspective of of fighting or defending or um, etc. Maybe maybe that is the harsh reality of uh, nature at times, and but we definitely have seem to have a very strong focus on that. Um, and even to a point, like you said, it's a science fiction show. So why is it? Why isn't there any civilization that stood out as being caring and cooperative and, and, and expanding across it? It's 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 it brings up an interesting point. Uh, to to basically have a good feeling of love and belonging means that you have to expose yourself. You have to be uh, maybe vulnerable, um, and that takes a high sense of bravery. And maybe maybe that's part of the reason why we tend to um, shun off or, or, or show ourselves as being, um, defending or fighting and all the rest of it is, is this internal fear and, uh, that we need to, uh, we can't be too vulnerable. Um, because I think when, yeah, uh, when punk, someone actually has a real strong, uh, desire or connection to love, it makes them quite vulnerable. Um, mm. they're, they're going, I guess what makes them vulnerable is they're going directly with how they feel. They're not, allowing anything else to manipulate that. Um, and when you do that, you can get a sense of some, in many situations you could get hurt and uh, that can be a detriment to the individual soul. So I think that that is actually shows how strong, if I go back, I'm going back to being an engineer, mm-hmm. but if you think about how strong physiologically or biologically it is, you can imagine when you expose yourself and become um are vulnerable and then you get hurt, how strong that actually, that reaction feels to the individual. Um, mm. So, yeah, that could be the reason why we're a little bit hesitant to, to err on that side. It's good you bring up vulnerability because I'm going to tie it back to something in a second. But I, like you just said there, being vulnerable and getting hurt is tougher than just, you know, pretending and not, not sharing with anyone, not caring. It's actually more shows more courage, more strength to show vulnerability mm. because you're putting yourself at more risk. Whereas mm. when you go the opposite direction where you just, I don't know, close everyone out, you pretend to be, you know, some strong person, it's actually you're taking less risk doing that. Yeah. So it, it, it seems at times that it sounds counterproductive but or, or counterintuitive, sorry, that vulnerability is strength but it actually is because it is like like you said it, it's a lot harder especially yeah. if it goes the a bad way yeah yeah i think so and i think um you know that's i guess you can tell you often can tell people that uh have low self-esteem and low confidence uh because they will put that shield on and um i guess going back to the principles of transparency and honesty and everything else if you're well grounded like that as an individual, it's quite easy to see people that are that um, have low self esteem and confidence because they will shun that defensive structure out. Though, you know, uh, uh, a classic male trait is you know they'll be the big boisterous person in the room, and you know every everyone will know about them and uh, everyone will be aware of them, and it's almost like their armor to um, not exposing their internal feelings. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, after like, so let me, let me, 
let me go back to vulnerability a minute. And the reason I said that it was appreciated that you brought that up is because it takes me to where my beginning in actually delving into, okay, what is love? What is belonging? Like all these kind of emotional areas. It comes back to, um, her name's Brene Brown and she does a lot of study uh, in, in this kind of area of emotional connectionness, connectiveness. And uh, she calls it wholehearted living, I think. And just, yeah, she, she's like an academic who who goes into like the emotional realm and tries to, tries to put numbers and, you know, quantify, quantify it. Yeah. And the first uh, exposure I had to her was reading a book that she had called The Gifts of Imperfection. And it's really good book i highly recommend it to anyone who wants to kind of look into this kind of stuff and look into emotions and understanding them and she talks a lot about vulnerability and how that is a prerequisite to finding love to finding belonging that that's and like the first time that she realized that like looking through her data she was like crap now i have to be vulnerable <laughs> like in order to bring it out in herself going on from that and i'm going to come back to uh her a few quotes from that book even and just because she does try and um she does define it in there and obviously we all interpret it a little bit differently like i was saying psychological uh needs they're more emotional more feeling and one way you know i try and communicate that it's difficult to agree on these type of things is like ask someone to explain to you what does happy feel like or what what Mm. is happy in ways that are comment like in common reference terms like i can say to you that's a glass and we can both see that that's a glass but how do i say to you that's what happy is that's what happiness is hey yeah we we can infer from like people's reactions and say okay they're probably feeling happy but we really have no idea it's the same thing like uh this color of this wall is white and how do i know that what i'm seeing is the same as yours Mm. just because it's a cosmic point of reference doesn't mean we're actually seeing and Yes, sensing yes. the same thing. It's just that we've made a consensus. It's what that's between our both of us. But yeah, we don't necessarily know that we're actually seeing the same thing. And I guess yeah, happiness is the same. And that's probably why it is difficult to to uh, to put a definition of these because I guess it's from it's the eye of the beholder. It's the individual's perspective and how they perceive the world and how their emotion. You know how they physiologically how they react to the to the surrounding environment and and people and animals or whatever are in that space so yeah it's a i guess it's their definitions of these are intimate Mm. individual and very intimate and it's not that we can't share that the same elation i guess the common thread between them is the the maybe i'm going back i'm going to probably go back to this a bit that physiological biological response that's probably what where the common point is so maybe we can reference our feeling of happiness because we both have an understanding of what it feels like to be elated, um, but to just to, to internally describe all the mechanisms uh, for ourselves at that point is probably very difficult to do and, and somewhat different. Mm. And the other thing I was thinking along those lines is can we even measure, like for example, elation? How can we tell that someone is more or less happy mm. more or less sad than someone else is that even something we can really do is it something that you need to quantify is it yeah is mm. it even that i mean do you do you need to have the same level of relation that i do in order to feel that same response uh, for yourself maybe not 
You know, the thresholds might be different. You might have someone that uh, needs a, I mean, on the topic of that we're talking about, you might need someone that actually needs a lot of love and belonging and other people that actually don't necessarily need a significant amount of that. And yet they both feel, uh, they could both feel quite content with themselves and others. So, yeah, I guess, you know, quantifying it might not be that valuable. Mm. Um, yeah. That's also, this is a little bit of a tangent. It goes into a broader area that I'll hope maybe one day we'll do sort of a topic on it. In that a feeling, we try and grade it. Okay, this feeling mm. is, is, is this, whatever, is 10, this feeling is 5, whatever. There are multiple ways that you can get to like that level of feeling and yet sometimes we try and if it's through work, if it's through doing something that takes a lot of, there's a lot of hurdles in the way to get to, say say I want to go, an example for a friend, he likes going out and drifting. <laughs> he likes drift cars. He likes, And so he was going to buy one, do one up and then go out and get that feeling of happiness that he's looking for. And I asked him and I'm like, that feeling of happiness that you'll get after going through all these steps to get to out mm. on the dirt and drifting around, how different is that from you spending time with your son who's like one year old, like very young? And he's like, you know, it's it's kind of the same. So I'm like, why are you bothering with all these steps? Like it's it's perfectly fine to to do that. But if you're having to do all these steps that you dislike, that, that are going to be okay. annoyances, are going to be pains to get to that feeling, why not just do something small that already gives you that feeling that you can do almost immediately? Yeah, I think that's an interesting case. I would say that um, you need variety. It's almost like training. It's I would say that you couldn't, okay, so we have this love and belonging. Let's say you had an intimate partner. I don't think that's enough. I don't think, I think the variety is actually important as well. Um, so basically in his case, uh, maybe, and I, I was thinking about this as well while you were speaking, is that this comes back to our in, internal motivations and sometimes we don't understand why that's the case. So like why does he actually like the drift car? What happens to him? that actually makes him have that desire. Because some people, you, you put them in a drift car, they want to get out straight away. Like that that's dangerous to them. So there's this, there's this I'm going back to it, the biological response happening in that individual and that's what they're striving for. Um, and why it happens to that individual, I don't know if we, we fully understand, but I guess what we try to do is we try to explain it. We try to provide reason why. So, like, if I ask him, well, why do you like drifting? He'll tell me all the little things that relate to why he does it. Um, but I don't think that really gets to the heart of the question. I don't think we necessarily know why he actually likes drifting. It's just he was born that way. And that's what gives him that excitement. And maybe it was born that way in combination with all the experiences he's had. And then for some reason it just clicks with him. And uh, there probably isn't a good reason why. Um, yeah. I just went on a short trip in my mind when you said something there like talking about how it's just biological and if we can figure out what it is that's triggering that you know mm. you could use that and then that's kind of where the world is going like with the whole idea of the metaverse and vr and like trying to hack those those biological um processes in order to give us that feeling you're right and like yes. that kind of leads to the matrix and it got really <laughs> dystopian for me so i'm like that's a topic for that's a topic for another time but Yes. It's, it's, it's interesting to think 
like in in delving into this kind of stuff you are at the same time when you understand it it allows you to hack it and then what are the consequences of doing that and yes we don't really know that no no i think we're in the middle of finding that out yeah i think we are there's a big you know big experiment going on with our yeah emotional engagement i mean uh, they call it what is it they call it the um they're competing for attention but i would say it's even deeper than that i think that we've set up uh, our culture in ways in which it actually um, we manipulate people's emotions purposely, on purpose, like supermarkets, um, anything you, you can think of almost, buying, advertising, even the social network platforms. They're all at some level have learnt techniques to ma- manipulate our individual emotions. Yeah, they're trying to actually understand the topic that we're even talking about and we really should try and focus a bit more on that. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to figure out, okay, what is this desire for love and belonging that people need and how can we exploit that Mm. and how can we use that to get to some ends? Now, Mm. it doesn't have to be a malevolent end, but a lot of the time we think, you know, spending money and wasting value and resources that we have on things that we don't really need is kind of... Yeah. Probably a bad way to utilize this when, yeah. It shows how strong the connection is. It does show how strong the connection is. Um, if you can do it on mass with people like that, it, uh, yeah, it means people are really tuned in, connected to it. I don't think we understand it, but yeah, it definitely, it definitely works. You're saying it shows like how strong our reaction is to these things yeah yeah yeah. so we you know we often think of ourselves i always think this we often think of our species as being so intelligent and uh we're just as emotional as as the rest Mm -hmm. and that's a clear example of what why is the case you know so uh, it doesn't really matter the level of um, intelligence of an individual they all go uh, i think there's a spectrum where people go through all this connection and they're not uh, they're not bulletproof from it. You know, any strong individual can to succumb to these probably techniques um, if, mm. if set up correctly. Yeah, even understanding them and knowing about them, you, yeah. you can't, you're still uh, susceptible to them. Correct. Yeah. Which is uh, incredible when it's, you think about it. Yeah. What yeah. chance do the ones that have that they're not even aware that that's what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I want to, let's get back to love for a second. <laughs> yes. So I want to give a definition from that book that I said, uh, Brene yep. Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection. And I'll just read it out and then maybe I'll get your thoughts on, on it. So she says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the, sp- the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each of them. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can only survive these injuries if they are acknowledged, healed, and rare. Any, anything come to mind? <laughs> When reading that out. Yes, yes. So I think that, uh, I mean, I had been thinking about this a lot and I think that we always think that, uh, well, I guess the initial sort of idea of love and belonging is you're thinking about how 
you would be able to get those needs met, I guess, um, externally. And I, I think that it actually, uh, which I think she mentions in there, is it starts with yourself. I think it actually really, if you think about it, love and belonging is how you treat yourself. And that really sets you up about how you can then nurture and grow. I think she used the, the words there, nurture and grow that outside of yourself. So like if you're a bitter individual, good luck trying to find a real uh, uh, loving connection or a feeling of belonging because there's something internal in you that's preventing you to get to that emotional re, uh emotional response or emotional reaction to it you're, you're preventing it because you're basically blocking the ability to be vulnerable you're blocking those factors that are important transparent vulnerable trust all of those by being a bitter individual you're blocking it and so you can't grow it so you could be a really bitter person and say well why doesn't anyone like me or why you know why don't i have any friends are oh, they just you know people are just stupid or what idiots and all the rest of it. Um, the problem with that, that mindset is you're, it's only a detriment to yourself and you're not going to find anyone to connect to because you're just going to bring them down with it. So I think that, uh, yeah, for us to, to foster this, for us to um, really, uh, yeah, allow it to grow, it takes each of us individually to internally go um, find your own love and belonging to yourself. Um, yeah. It's good that you picked that out. That was something I was going to ask you further on. Uh, can we love others without loving ourselves first? Well, that's how I would phrase it. But mm. yeah, that, that's that's what she says there. And when I first read that, I'd, I'd thought about it like from both perspectives trying to figure it out and I couldn't come to a conclusive answer like can you just love someone else without being able to love yourself and I actually don't think the saying it's true or false is that important to be honest mm. but what I will say is I think it's more useful and more effective if you can love yourself first and and I want to say that through you know everything about you. You know the good, the bad, like everything we've done. So if we can see that about ourselves and we can learn to live with it and say, okay, I am human, I made mistakes and to forgive ourselves, then being able to do that with yourself where you know like all the nitty gritty details about it, you know everything going on, it makes it a lot easier to see it in other people and to say, oh, okay, they're going through something now. I can you have compassion for them now. I can understand what they're going through. I can see that they're human and I can, you know, let get past that and I can still love them even though they've done something that maybe I disagree with or I don't appreciate. So like I said, I don't know if that is is necessarily true that you can't love others without loving yourself, but I don't think that's what's important. I think what's important is that being able to uh, confront like the worst parts of you and say, you know what, it's all right, you're still human I still love you for it. It helps you to mm. be loving towards other people. It's an interesting. It's a quite a good question, and I agree. It probably doesn't have a direct answer. Um, but what I would say is that uh, I think there's a lot of people that believe they love someone, 
And if you if you really look deeply, um, they probably don't contribute the factors of love to that individual. So, okay, so how can I give an example? So let's think about, I'm going to do an extreme case here. Let's think about um, what domestic violence is and how it starts off, right? So domestic violence, you know, or any any relationship starts with some feeling of connection or love um, generally. Maybe in the initial beginning someone was contrived or manipulated into the situation, but, but a lot of domestic violence situations start off the the couple love each other. Now, uh, I'm going to put gender in here just for the purpose of the story, but I think it can be flipped on either side. So let's say you have a man that's in that relationship and doesn't love themselves but believes strongly that they love the other person. Right? So I think they can show what they believe to be love. So they have a strong desire for this individual uh, they they believe they care about the individual and, um, and they feel, they actually have, if we go back to that physiological response, they feel that connection, right? But if they don't love themselves, what ends up, uh, what ends up being as a risk is you can mistreat the other person. So what I mean by that is that the individual might love themselves and then all of a sudden they feel a sense of low confidence or whatever triggers them in that situation. And because they don't have that grounding and love internally, they're going to, they're, they're going to switch. They're going to switch into this feeling of aggressive, a feeling of hatred because they just feel like they've got robbed of something maybe possibly in a moment. And then that, that externalizes on their partner. Now, normally they would never want to uh, treat their partner in a particular way. But a lot of those cases I feel um, is because that individual has a lot of problems with themselves and they don't love themselves. Um, and when they're in a situation of where they have a bit of a meltdown, that externalizes to the person they love most. And so I would say that that is not a true love and belonging situation it's almost a a trick it's like i don't know like a, a fool's gold it's like it looks like gold it feels like gold but it's actually not and i think that love can be a little bit the same people can feel and and believe they're in love with an individual um and possibly that part is true but without loving themselves they can't provide or offer that that same connection that they would if they they love themselves and i would say that that, that at that point it becomes difficult to say that it is a true love and belonging um yeah i just want to reiterate neither of us are psychologists here so <laughs> yes <laughs> they're yes, all just so, thoughts and opinions yeah that's all just thought and opinion so yes um, i don't know enough about domestic violence the rest of it but i guess i'm trying to uh, provide an example of where where the difference might lie yeah i'm thinking that through so if you don't have you don't re respect yourself don't love yourself i'm going to conflate the two there i don't know if it's adequate or not but mm. Or appropriate or not it's kind of like it's you'll beat up on yourself because you're like it doesn't matter who cares and 
because you don't have that restraint within yourself to say it's not okay to do that to myself. It's like it will translate to someone Correct. else and you won't notice that actually that's you don't want to be doing that to someone else. That's a really good uh, – yeah, you've elegantly explained it I think. It is the feeling that if you don't have the respect and care for yourself, there's going to be points in time where you don't have respect and care for others. Mm. And uh, then that means that you can't contribute that love and belonging that others might be contributing to you. Mm. Um, yeah. I want to bring up here again, like I was saying before, in order to develop that love and care for ourselves, when we say love for ourselves, like it can be, it might get, uh, it might sound a bit off. Like some people love themselves too much. What, what do you call that? Where they're, like egotistical or something or yeah mm. self-indulgent that kind of thing that's not yes. what we're talking about it's it's you accept again like your faults and you still are like okay i'm going to take care of myself i'm not going to beat up myself i'm worthy of not not only you know do i love myself i'm worthy of love from others as well like yes yeah i think um someone described uh what does someone described to me one day what they believed uh what true love is for someone else and it's and I think you mentioned a little bit there, which is the when you said um, when you do something wrong or you feel like you've made a mistake, it's important not to bash up yourself about it. It's important to reflect on it correctly and go, all right, I made this mistake. That's that honesty piece. Um, if I come, if I've hurt anyone, then you uh, get, uh, you know, you go and uh, make peace in that situation. Um, and then you take the learning from that. Uh, okay, if I was presented with this again, this is how I'd change it. And then uh, and that's it. That's when you move on. And I think that's what is what we should, if you were to give true love to someone else, that's what you do. You, you allow them to be them. That's probably the most important part. Um, mm -hmm. True love allows that individual to be who they want to be. Um, it becomes less so when you want to start to control or to change who they are. Um, and I think that's a, that's, that's important. Yeah. So I think uh, if I'm picking up what you're saying in learning to love ourselves, we're practicing the habits of reflecting on something and saying, okay, we're being honest about it. We're not saying like, if we make a mistake, let's say, we're not saying, oh, it was someone else's fault. We're like, oh, okay, it was our fault. Like we're honest about that. We can accept that. And then we're having that self-compassion to be like, I, we, I'm, we, mm. I, we, same thing, made a mistake. That's okay. We're going to have to pay for it because that's what compassion is. That's, that's one other thing I want to bring up and that I learned <laughs> through uh, Brene Brown's book is that the term compassion, we throw it around a lot, but for myself personally, I didn't understand really what it meant, not properly anyway. And it's the idea that we can understand like someone's human. We can say, mm. okay, you made a mistake, but they still have to pay. And again, this comes back to accountability and agency. Our founding, our fundamental principles is that you're still accountable for those actions, but we can forgive you for those actions because we understand Correct. that no one's perfect, that we make mistakes. Yes. And so learning to do that, to self-reflect, 
to be honest with ourselves and to show compassion towards ourselves. We're actually practicing those habits. So when we, like you said, when we see it in someone else, we can reflect on what they're doing. We can be honest about it. And then we can say, oh, it's okay. I understand that was an issue. Like I'm still going to hold you accountable for whatever it is, but we'll get past it and I, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's as, as, yeah, as clear cut as it can be in a, in a lot of ways because, um, yeah, without being able to, yeah, without being able to forgive yourself in moments, you're going to find it very difficult to forgive others. Um, and that maybe that is the sense of belonging. The sense of belonging is to realize we're all fallible. Right? I was going to get to that. No. Yeah. And I think it's really down to intent. It's not, uh, I think what is different between um, when someone makes a mistake is their in, initial intent. So if they intended to take advantage of a situation or if they intended to inflict harm, um, then I think that's a that's a problem. But if people don't have the intent of that and it happens, then that's where your compassion's got to come in. Um, that's where you've got to you've got to sort of abstain yourself from being black and white and just to sit back and think about the unfolding of what humans actually are and we're going to make these mistakes and we're going to hurt others and we're going to um, do some stupid things. Um, But isn't it much better when we can all accept, like you said, our responsibility and others around us can give us that space to be wrong? That's when I think you have a real strong connection. That's when you really have that sense of belonging. When you've got a group of people that you can – there's there's no judgment there, you know. Yeah, well, okay, you made the mistake. Don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll find a way around it. Um, that's when you have a real sense of of belonging. I think. Yeah, yeah I definitely agree about uh, intent being important. And you know, if if someone does something and it like it goes a way that you weren't thinking, and then they say this was my intent with it, you can step through and be like, okay. How did, why did that, if that was your intent, why did it result in these actions? And then you mm. can say, oh, okay, at this point, this is this is the reason that, you know, I felt this way about it, even though your intentions were something yes. else. And then you yeah. can help each other out. And yeah, as long as, as long as it's um, an honest mistake, like as long as it's not your intent was this, but you still did something else, even, even yeah. though like you knew it was going to happen. Yeah, as long as it's an honest mistake, then yeah. Hopefully we can understand each other enough and be like, okay, let's let's get past yeah. that. Yeah, I want to get onto belonging because uh, it is a, a bit distinct from love, at least in the way that um, Brene Brown puts it, in the way that I'm understanding it. So again, I'll read out uh, a quote from the book that I've got written down here, and then get your thoughts and opinions on it. So she says, "Belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us." Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Anything in response to that? Yeah, I kind of like the first sentence. It's bigger... 
A sense of belonging. What can you read the first sense of belonging is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Yes. I think that's a really good description about what belonging is. And that it is primal or it's this innate Yeah, it's an innate connection. We're always gonna have that desire and <clears throat> uh yeah, can you can you ever get there? Can you all? Yeah, maybe maybe. I'm just thinking. Can it get to a point where you don't feel that it needs to be bigger than what it actually is, um, as well? So, do you keep wanting a, a bigger sense of belonging? Uh, how can I explain this? Is it ever so, enough? Will we be? Yeah. So, like popularity satisfied? is is that what happens with popularity? Well, that's what I want to say, and that's why I like the way she puts it. It's belonging isn't fitting in, which is kind of what po- popularity is like. You're trying to get acceptance from people, but you're pretending to be something you're not in order to get that acceptance. Whereas belonging is you are being who you are and someone else appreciates you for that. And so then it is enough. You don't need that. There is no, uh, there is a cap on it. Like you don't need to have an infinite amount of people that you belong with. It's like, okay, I have enough because these people accept me as who I am. Yes. And I can be that around. So I I guess there's a sense that you need to, I don't know. I'm trying to think through this, uh, maybe of self-regulating. So basically what I mean by that is that <clears throat> I guess I, I'm i talking outside my own personality because I don't necessarily, I'm not a person that is an extrovert and tries to get that external um, source of energy or whatever. But I could imagine someone that does and the initial part saying it's bigger than themselves, I can imagine that they're, that even though they're not tangibly connected, the fact that they've got a, a, a large following gathering and gathering, they feel a sense of having something, a, a sense of belonging of something bigger than them. And so it's, tr- and I would say that that's a trait in all of us that, again, it's a spectrum. Some people are going to have a bigger bigger um, desire for that and others aren't. So if you keep having that desire, I wonder if it's something you have to regulate and, and check in with yourself uh, between the two because I would say that the second one where you're saying where she's talking about the popularity and uh, what, she, what does she describe again? About the popularity, the, the, the false part of it. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it. Yeah, so I would say that's a logical and, 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 and sort of rational response to it because you have a desire to be part of something bigger than you. So it seems like that is the obvious um, action you need to take to feel that connection. And so I guess some people might have to self-regulate that. We might not all start off at the same point. And some people might have that feeling that needs to be, that they, they keep striving towards and they might not ever necessarily get there and maybe they need to, yeah, regulate it. I think it's saying that you need to regulate that. I think that's just a sign that you're actually trying to fit in instead of, be who you are and actually belong with people. I think, I mean, again, it's all qualitative. It's all, Mm. this is just assumptions. And the way I feel about it is that the reason some people have that drive to get more and more people is because they're not actually, they're not actually belonging. They're not being themselves, presenting themselves authentically, which I'm going to get to in a second. 
and having people want to be a part of like want to I don't know hang out with them or whatever appreciate them for who that they are they're they're being appreciated for someone they're pretending to be and they're like and that's not enough that's not actually what you're seeking you're not looking to pretend to be someone and get uh acknowledgement and get um fit in with people you're looking to be yourself and have people appreciate you and once you get that you don't have that yearning anymore because you've you're being yourself you're 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 being fulfilled it's an it's yeah it's really interesting because that goes back to i don't know what line of um discussion about this would happen but i think there's suggestions that um that we're really best being within societies of 50 or 100 people and that probably goes along with what you were just suggesting there so when do you feel an adequate level of belonging you cuz okay so the part about fitting in let me let me read i've got a couple more yeah. quotes here okay, okay. Yeah. these ones are about fitting in versus belonging specifically Fitting in and belonging are not the same thing. And in fact, fitting in gets in the way of belonging. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. Yes. Yeah, there's a distinct difference between the two. So... Okay, so talking through this, if you are a sense of who you are, let's say you are who you are, um, but you, let me think about this. I guess in every group of people, there's always going to be a small group of individuals that don't connect as strongly as some other individuals. So for them... Is there a sense that they, there's got to, I feel like removing the whole sense of, yeah, removing the whole sense of fitting in, I'm not sure about that. Let me, yeah. while you think about it, I've got a couple more points here that I noted down specifically on that. I think similar to what you were trying to get at there, it's unnecessary to fit in with everyone. You don't have to get along with everyone. We're all different people with different personalities yes. and interests. I think a big problem with uh, uh, conflating fitting in with belonging is that some of us feel like we need to get along with everyone when that's just not the case. And that often makes it a lot more difficult because you end up in trying to do that. You end up going for the people that don't necessarily accept you as much for who you are authentically. So you're pretending to be someone else, which is just a hollow victory, even if you get those people and that it keeps driving you towards do that towards that. Correct. So, okay, so this is where it doesn't come clear cut in my mind and I'm trying to figure it out. So uh, I'm doing this on the fly. I guess what I would say about fitting in is at some level you do do that. So like what I mean by that is I will probably interact with you differently than I would interact with another friend of mine. So part of me adjusts myself in order to cater for our relationship as opposed to another friend's relationship or whatever. It's not so much so that I sacrifice my own self, but I think that there is an adjustment there. So there is a sense that we try to fit in. Now, you don't want to go to the extreme of I need to do this at the detriment of myself in order to fit in. 
Um, but I think fitting in, and I don't know how to distinguish it's different. I don't. I do feel like it has it has a role to play here, and it also has a role to play in the fact that <clears throat> if I think about when I was younger and I would change groups of people, I would adapt myself in order to to change those group of people. And what it did do is it built up a greater level of appreciation for different perspectives, and so without me having to try and adapt myself to fit in with different groups of people, I wouldn't have got that. So I don't know that I, I agree in that I, I think there's a point at which it becomes very helpful, but I also feel that I, I don't know that it would, it's not a value as well, like you would get rid of it. I think we just um, I kind of have two different perspectives on what it means to fit mm. in. So like you said, you we change our personalities depending on who we're who we're around or the way we act, but that's not necessarily compromising who we are. That's just showing them a different aspect of who we are or highlighting certain aspects of who we are. If we're hanging out right, and I'm trying to make you do something that you're just like on principle against, I'm trying to get you to harass someone. That would be trying to fit in if you went then and harass someone because that really does go against who you are. Mm. Whereas if you just show a different aspect of who you are, you highlight different points parts dependent on who you're with that's not going against who you are that's just like just showing a different part of you like we don't have to get along entirely and we don't have to have exactly the same um, personalities or or interests we can just have a few that are you know that Mm. are important to us that allow us to get along on those levels and then the other ones it's like okay whatever that's who they are that's who i am so i guess yeah so i guess with the way that you describe um Fitting in there, it's um, you don't fitting in is when you adapt yourself to a point that it becomes a detriment to your your own self. In that you're sacrificing your own authenticity. Or yes, yes. that's where I wanted to get to authenticity. Uh, uh, just to piggyback off what you're saying, it, it, where you're sacrificing your principles is probably a better way to think about it at the moment. Yes. Until I explain yep. what I mean, because in order to belong you do kind of have to understand who you are like yes authentic, authentically who you are now authenticity is weird i'll say that this is something that i've been it's probably been almost a year that i've been actively trying to think about and trying to understand and like again it's that problem that's almost impossible to solve i don't even think it is possible to solve so because the idea is okay, well, if I'm not being who I am, well, then who's that person? (laughs) Who is that other person that's acting if that's not who I am, you know? Yes. So I've got a couple of notes here on this. So figuring out who we are authentically is hard. I think majority of people would agree on that. The reason I think that it's hard is because it's, it's getting meta. It's you are observing the observer. Yes. So we're here observing things around us and we're also then on top of that observing like like the actions that I'm doing now, the way I'm moving my hands, I'm thinking about that. Why am I doing that? What's motivating me? Is that who I truly am? So it, it starts to get really uh, loopy. <laughs> I think authenticity, and this is where I think it comes to, like you get to spirituality. This is where it's trying to explain that because I think, authenticity uh, exists prior to logic and reason. I don't think you can think your way into, okay, 
who am I as a person? I think it's just something that's there that instructs you and says, this is good, this is bad. And what I mean by that is mm. in order to understand who you are authentically, it's those that feeling we get. It's like, oh, was that a good feeling? Is that a bad feeling? And it also gets muddied though because going back to the physical needs, like we have a drive to uh, have eat, to drink, whatever it is, and that may cause us to do things that in the short term give us a good feeling because we like if we steal food from someone in the short term, that might be a good feeling because we ended up satiating that physical need. But in the long term, we feel bad about it because that goes against who we are authentically. So it gets kind of difficult to discern between, okay, what signal is just because I'm uh, satisfying some physical need versus what signal is actually correct about who I am authentically. So I think I'll, I'll kick it over to you in a second. But I think this is where you get into the realm of, okay, this this is where spirituality and religion comes from and where you could get into where God comes from, that idea of what God is. It's that prior to logic and reason is directing us and telling us this is good, this is bad, this is where morality comes in. Like mm. it's a massive discussion to have, but I think, and we don't want to do it now, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's where all that kind of stuff comes in. And specifically for me, like in doing my own delving into, okay, well, who am I? That's how I kind of got to spirituality and religion and understanding those a bit more deeper. Yes. So I think what you're saying there is that authenticity is directly related to your intuition in that you're listening to your internal self in order to guide you. And any attempt to block that intuition is an is a an attempt is in direct conflict with trying to be authentic because you're hmm. yeah that's you yeah. being someone else like that's when you're blocking you, that signal that's you and that's that's and else. that's when you get that bad feeling because you've yes. stopped it you've stopped that uh, you didn't listen to yourself yeah. yes. And so there's a gut feeling, like I like the idea of the theft. So there's an emotional feeling where maybe you maybe you're starving, um, and uh, yeah, you, you feel that emotional. Yeah, I mean that uh, physiological need. You go steal some food or you take it from someone, but after you do that, there's this little pit in the stomach that you feel. Oh, that person's going to be without food, and uh, if you suppress that feeling, then you're suppressing. Uh, your ability to be authentic, I guess it's, it's very it's very true, and I do think yeah you're right. Like it's it's something that's there before anything else. It's it's actually probably central to who we are. Um, it's interesting. I used to fish a lot, and now I actually don't eat meat. But um, I used to love fishing. It was some really strong connection. I love just going out there. Didn't even have to catch a fish. It was just the feeling of being out on the beach, listening to the ocean, you know, just being with a friend, you know, on the sand. And I'm a much better person. I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm a much better person in a small group of people. I'm not a person that likes to be, you know, I had a Christmas, a work Christmas party yesterday and I just, I have no desire to go to them. And I think it is because there's so many people there and the, the Christmas party is so contrived in so many ways 
that it just doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel natural. And I don't, I don't connect or, or bond with that. Um, but going back to that fishing thing where, you know, you're feeling connected, you've got the individual there and all the rest of it. But then, you know, when, when you do catch a fish and then you, you know, used to cut its throat and bleed it out and put it on the beach, I never, I never quite felt right with that. There was always something internally with me that didn't feel comfortable with that process, even though I carried through with it because it was like, oh, well, it's meat, it's food, that's what we do. But that I think is a really good example of where I haven't and I've tried, I, I've learned from that more and more over the years is your mind is <laughs> your mind's sometimes your worst enemy. It actually does trick you into uh, justifying reasons. It probably does for, for maybe evolutionary or, or a survival sense. It does trick you in this. But um, to be, I try to be very consciously aware of those tricks and to always uh, give room or time for that, that feeling and not to throw it away um, because it's often driven me down the right path. Yeah, I tend to, when trying to figure out, okay, who am I? What is my authentic being? One technique I use is to reevaluate in the future, like let time pass, wait until I'm in a good mind state and then say, okay, do I, did I feel good mm-hmm. about what I did or what I didn't do? Yes. And that usually guides me, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it might have been that in the moment I was acting because yeah, a certain way because I was whatever, hungry, tired, uh, anxious, whatever. Mm. But yeah, it's 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 usually it's usually that feeling that comes second. It's not that feeling that comes yes. initially. And yes. so whatever that initial feeling, it's like okay, that was that. Now let's wait and see what the yes. true feeling is. I wonder if uh, at the Christmas party, I wonder if it is because you were, it, you weren't being yourself. Like you were just trying to fit in around these people. You're not really necessarily being yourself, and that's why it felt. Off. It's actually the opposite. Okay. It feels lonely because you can't have a – I don't feel you can have a connected conversation at those events. So in actual fact, I feel lonely in those situations, which is really strange because you amount uh, uh, among a, a large group of people. But I just don't feel that the conversations have a strong enough connection that it's like I'm engaged. It's kind of like a, yeah, what have you been doing? You know, like it's it's very – Super, not on purpose. I don't think people mean to be that way. It's superficial. And I guess it's just getting a group of people that have the common, um, the common connection that they all work together, but they don't necessarily all get along. And it's getting them to put them all in the same room together. And that's probably what it is. I think so. I agree with you there that it's, I mean, I'm the same way. I don't like large gatherings being around a lot of people because of that fact that you don't really have that in-depth connection it's usually mm. like and, and if you even try to have like an in-depth talk someone will come and interrupt yes. or something correct and i mean like you said the only reason that you're all together is because you have this connection in that we you work together but mm. maybe not necessarily you would really get along if it wasn't for that and the other thing is coming back to that vulnerability it's very difficult in a situation like that to be vulnerable especially if you're not the type of person who is comfortable with that thing so you can't get those deep connections because they're unwilling to go there in such an environment yes correct and i guess that's very true for the work environment and there could be even a different podcast on this i think that um we work against ourselves we are a personality at work and a personality 
as a private individual. And um, I've always struggled with that concept because, like you said, in a work environment, if you if you were to open up, there can be consequences uh, to your actual sense of living in in that situation. So I guess that's why why people are probably more reserved in those situations, and and those that aren't reserved in those situations can be punished. I mean, you know, I think we've all heard of those Christmas parties where someone's gotten too drunk and they become the <laughs> they become the highlight of the night. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's a it, yeah. I was trying I was trying to think through through that, and I think it is just a feeling of loneliness when you go to that. You don't. You don't get the same connection as maybe one, two, three, or four people within a room. Well, I'm with you there in spirit. So if you're <laughs> in that situation again, yes. just think of it. Yes. I've got a couple more notes on uh, belonging. Uh, finding the people that love us when we are being authentic, that's really that's how I think about of belonging. It may take time. Like... I, I, again, for a lot of my life, I was trying to fit in because I think I'm a little bit peculiar for most people. And But then once I was like, oh, you know what, just stop trying to be that person, just be who you are. It was just got a lot better. So, mm. and then I found people like, again, I don't like being around a lot of people anyway, so I only needed a few. Yeah. So I don't know what I was thinking there. But yeah, for, for anyone else who's feeling like, feeling lonely, or that they can't find people that they necessarily connect to when they're being who they are. Give it time. You often don't need a lot of people. It's just once you find that one person, it's just so much more meaningful than all those, you know, false or like yes. fake or whatever connections that you have with people. Yes. Over time, oh, sorry, you can. Oh, I was, I was going to just add to that. I think it's important that, um, I don't know if it's losing hope, but I think it's important that uh, in order to find a sense of belonging, there's probably two things you need to do. The first one is just to be your authentic self, like what we've said. But I think it's also being a bit of a drifter. It's being able to float between a lot of people. So like if you can float between a lot of people, um, there's going to be, it's going to be, (laughs) unfortunately, it's like a numbers game. Like there are going to be just a few people that you do really connect with out there in the world today. And I think we're all like that. We're, we all have different level of connection with different people and that's okay. And I think that without actually going out there and just being yourself and then seeing what draws your way, you're probably going to not find the greatest level of connection you can find. So I think when you be yourself, it's like, I guess it's like the old business thing, you know, like just do something you love and the money will come. I kind of would say the same take about uh, – that love and belonging, just be yourself and you'll find the right relationship. If you're not yourself, you'll find the wrong relationship, I think, uh, because you're putting a persona out that's false. And so those people that relate to that persona, they might feed the initial connection because you're feeding in that way, but in the long run it's no good for anyone because you're not that individual person. So you've tricked them and you've tricked yourself. And so it's okay that you might go through 50 or 100 people before you find a connection. Um, and, uh, you just sometimes have to go through that, <laughs> that hard work, I guess. Yeah. Very well put. I would uh, second that. Mm. It's, it's kind of like, if you're feeling that you're missing that part of you, you're missing that connection with someone, um, 
yeah, just go out and meet different Do people. You'll, you'll find them eventually. Yep. They're, they're definitely out there. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that it takes time to figure out who we are. And like, I don't know if we ever actually <laughs> <No>. <laughs> truly figure that out. Again, I think that's one of those problems that's just, you're always building mm. upon. So when that happens, it's important to be, to recognize that you're changing the people that you hang around with now and that you feel you belong with now are changing as well. It may be that when you figure yourselves out better, that you realize you're no longer really that compatible and that's completely okay. Like mm. it, the more you try and hold on to that, the worse it actually gets. You'll start to, I don't know, resent the person. You got to be able to say, oh, it's okay. You're going in this direction. I'm going in this direction. We can still be friends. We can still catch up or whatever, but it doesn't have to be this like really close thing anymore or whatever it was. So that's just the other thing I would say. You can still love others without belonging with them. Yes. Yes. In actual fact, I would say that's the beauty of life. I would say the beauty of life is the people come in and out of your life, you know, the right points in time, the, at the right cycle. That's what builds the memories. That's what builds. Yeah. Yeah. I think connection is transient. Like you, at one point in time, you'll get along really well with this individual. They provide you with some, like what the value that they can give you provide them with the value you give and that that's okay if you, you 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 sort of go different paths in the future. That's kind of the beautiful part. Is it's like, I guess it's like hitchhiking, isn't it? You know, like if you were to hitchhike, not not you should hitchhike, but if you were to hitchhike, the whole point of going through that journey is connecting with different people, um, and that's yeah. I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah, very well put. Are there any other things that you want to bring up before we close it out? No, it's been an interesting discussion. It didn't uh, go down the avenue. Oh, not that I had an avenue <laughs> pre-planned, but it was an interesting discussion. I think it was uh, quite quite cool to go through it. Yeah, I, I mean, we, it's a really difficult one to say, okay, how would you practically implement into a society of love and belonging? But I think just, I think what was important was those foundational ones. They're more important once you get them practically right. I think this kind of stuff takes care of itself. And yeah, this, this conversation is, is kind of where I wanted it to be, which was it's more just exploring what do we actually mean by these terms and, and kind of throwing out ideas and trying to better our own understanding of it because I do think it is a problem that there is no definitive answer that you can say it is this, it is that. It's just, okay, let's give it our best go. It's going to be um, relative to each individual. We're going to have our own personal feelings about it and just, again, being comfortable with that. <laughs> That's right. I would say, because I'm a practical kind of guy, <laughs> I would say this. I think that we've, uh, if you think about this topic, if we can draw it back to practicalities, it's those key traits in yourself and then setting up the right environment externally that follows those same traits. So if we go back to some of the lower hierarchical needs, I think particularly around that, uh, uh, I think, did we do access to education? Or I think at least what we were doing had a lot of educational elements around it. Um, I think you had three factors to begin with, which was, you know, authenticity. Uh, what were the three? Did you have the Reflection. Written? Yep. Compassion. Uh, honesty, that's it. Yeah. Reflection. So if from a practical sense, that's where we want to focus. Those are what the traits in which we want to instill in, in young people, in the youth, that starts early. So you want kids, you know, I think we 
did a did a podcast on school, but you know, this is where that emotional understanding emotions and emotional needs um, are really is really important uh, because I don't think it I don't think it's like a recipe you can't cook up or, or have a recipe for love and belonging, but I think in order to get to that path or to that point, you need these factors at the at the beginning. Um, so I would say practically you want to focus on those three factors and have a society that puts that central to their, to the learning. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Once more reflection, honesty and compassion. Yes. yes. Okay, Mick, my song suggestion, I was so tempted to put a meatloaf song in here. <laughs> you know how much I, I, I like him. Because they're generally about love, but they don't really have as much uh, belonging <laughs> message yes. in them. So I thought I'll hold off for this time. So the song which I went in st- instead is much more <laughs> lesser known, I would say. It's called Find Me and it's called and it's by Theory Has It. Uh, that's spelled Theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y, Has It, H-A-Z-I-T. So that's kind of one that I felt more encompasses love and belonging. I like the title, Find Me. Yeah. yeah. And it feeds into that authenticity yes. and figuring yes. out who you are. It means it starts, you know, the love and, belo- love and belonging starts with yourself. Yeah. And then the quote, I know I've brought her up a lot, but this is another one by Brene Brown. If the goal is authenticity and they don't like me, I'm okay. If the goal is being liked and they don't like me, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yes. So thanks for joining us for this discussion. As always, it's just the beginning. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. I want to leave today with a uh, something else to think on. Just a just a short, short thought that I had the other day that I want to leave everyone with. Impossible may be impossible. How could we possibly know? <laughs> be well.